Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Talking Jack with me Claire and my twin sister Megan. On today's episode we're going to be discussing something timely for once I suppose, um, at time of recording, uh, just discussing the UK housing market. So we all kind of know the mess that the housing market's in at the moment. So we will be reflecting on that but also looking at how we got where we are and if home ownership's attainable these days if it means anything these days and if it's a marker of success or if you know you Megan you find it a marker of success or discuss whether it is um for young people these days um so yeah let's get started talking jack Dissecting the everyday. Okay, so just some background. I suppose let's start with some background for myself and you, Megan. I have just become a homeowner. I say homeowner because I don't own a house. I own a flat. Um, and Megan, you're currently renting at the moment. Um, so just before we get into it, just your initial things, is, is owning a home something that's still important to you? Is it something that you're still striving towards? Mm, um, I'd more answer it like I'm striving to get away from the insecurity of renting, but I'm not, I'm not. Obviously, the other alternative of that is, I suppose, to own a home. But if you took away the insecurity and the precarity of renting and how, like, maybe, you know, you've always got that looming over your head that your rent could just go up or, you know, that fear of being, like, evicted or, you know, something like that, I wouldn't, if you took that away, I wouldn't be like, oh, my God, I'm desperate to have my own home because I'm not. Um, It's more just I want out of the um anxiety around renting. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So you don't have a problem, like saying to people that you rent, you wouldn't like have a problem like renting long term. No, I just get scared like by renting because yeah. I, I live with this fear of like my rent just randomly going up, you know, and 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 you're beholden to this like kind of like landlord. Of but course. No, I, I if that had if that wasn't so bad, I don't socially have a problem saying that I rent. At the moment, without obviously going into too much into detail, but do you think that buying a home is attainable for you right now? No. Why is that? Personally, I don't have any savings. Um, and uh, it's just really expensive. Personally, also, I don't understand um, even the first step of buying a house. I know that there's things out there, you know, like you could speak to like family and friends who have gone through it before or you can look things up online or you can go to like mortgage advisors and stuff like that. I know that stuff's out there. I'm just saying that kind of, I find it really daunting and really scary. So I also just start looking at it like, mm, I don't want to look at it and, and like, you know, shut my eyes sort of thing. Um, But I also know, like financially, no, it's not because I don't have any money um to do it. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, long and short of that is no. Okay, and then just a final question. Um, do you 
do you think we're in a housing crisis? Um, and do you think, like, if you think that we are, do you think that affects your opinion on being able to own a home? Or is it just that even, even if we weren't in a crisis, you still wouldn't be able to save? Or do you think it's even more a distant, if not, not anything you can attain to at all because of the state that the UK housing market's in? Okay, so two things. Probably because just, you know, up until now, I have never really lived like, oh my God, I really want to own my own home. So in that sense, I've never been really motivated or inspired or whatever to save to you know, own a home. So maybe in the past I could have done more, I could have saved more and I could have put more aside to, to do it, if you know what I mean. Um so I've forgotten your questions but if um do you think we're in a housing crisis yeah I think we're definitely in a shortage we're in a shortage of affordable homes um there may be homes out there but whether they're affordable to the everyday person especially young people on their budgets and their wages I don't think that we are um and there's yeah there's a lack of social housing being built as well in countries um so yes we're definitely in a shortage of affordable housing so that does impact on i suppose my ability to um but it doesn't impact on your desire to own a home you would you would have the same attitude towards it whether we were in one or weren't in one well i've never really had the desire so I okay. suppose I would say when things were better, I've never, when things are worse, I suppose I've never. But I suppose now thinking about things and, you know, as you get older and stuff like that and just, just yeah, just in general thinking about the situation of things in the UK and Scotland, um, I I am a bit like regretful of the fact that I never really thought about it before and I never really considered it. I didn't really save and stuff and I didn't really pay enough attention to it. So, yes, mm. I am a bit like, why didn't I do that? Well, as with anything, like hindsight's a great thing, but which and we'll go into it. But like, especially with young people now, you know, like there's not enough opportunity to save. It, you know, like wages don't rise in relation to house prices a lot of the time, so you you can't really save. And like most people, I've only been unless you're super privileged, I've only been able to save because I lived at home for a while. Well, I lived with a parent, um, and through in the very particular circumstance of the covid lockdown i was able to save because i was staying at home a lot and that's the only way i did but i didn't like go out my way and be like i'm going to put this outside this aside this aside i was more like i'm not spending it and if i was still renting i don't think i'd be in the position i am in today and again i've not bought an amazing place I've bought somewhere that's affordable to me but it's not I don't know I don't think it will be my forever home unless you know you know if I'm ever in the position where like I can sell and move on um but I suppose and I'm not I'm not I'm not saying I've got it bad it's 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 good to be on the first step of the property ladder so I do feel privileged for that but I just wanted to see, just sort of like set up where we both are, because I suppose it's unique, especially with us, that we're both sort of the same age and in different situations. So um, I'm going to start by sort of like looking at the sort of state of Britain, just a brief overview of where Britain is housing-wise. Um, because 
it's funny how you were sort of saying like it's not really a goal for you to own your own home when I feel like for like years it's been instilled that that's that's one of your main goals in life that you check off as you you know progress in adulthood you eventually own your own home um because you know like you have that saying like you know an Englishman's home is his castle and even from there it's just something that's ingrained in you that you've made it in life when you have your own home when you have an asset you know something that's yours um so I do think it's it's been at the heart of British aspirations for years and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's the same for all all societies all cultures but I I do think it is important in in Britain anyway well I felt it um yeah sorry so, by the way just to say I agree with you um that Britain uniquely the UK is a country that has just always had this obsession with home ownership um and I felt it but and I'm, and I'm aware of it like around me and um, just personally I haven't but I am aware that the UK is a country that seems to be quite obsessed with um, home ownership home ownership yeah I don't know maybe I've got this point later on um but I don't have like stats but off the top of my head I was reading somewhere that I think it's in Germany where they actually don't have a massive percentage of people that own their own homes renting is bigger and it's people people like rent and people want to rent it's it's never been like a national sort of aspiration to own your own home if you own it great that's fine but it's not pushed down your throat that you know you've made it and because you have a mortgage or whatever um but in um this publication sorry from September 2022 called can't remember the name of it sorry um i'll put a link to it um anyway they put a stat saying that uh the uk currently again it was only september 2022 so this will still stand hopefully um currently ranks 25th out of 29 eu nations for home ownership which is surprising because i would have thought with the clout that we put on home ownership that we would have been higher but then as we go into this episode to think you'll understand why we have such um a low position out of the 29 eu stations for uh, nations for home ownership it's not for lack of trying or wanting i think we just can't do it uh younger people so that's people aged between 25 and 34 um in the last 30 years, the rate of home ownership in England has fallen from over 50% to 35%. So definitely adds weight to the fact that there is um, some sort of housing crisis, and um, especially amongst like young people. Um, since the 2008 financial crash, house prices have grown rapidly. Meanwhile, wages have remained stagnant. Like I was saying before, so it just means that, you know, you can't save if your wage doesn't match the uh, rate that house prices are growing. And then in May 2022, the Tiny Housing Co. Um, published an article about the state of the UK housing market, especially in terms of like young people, and they used 
data from the Institute of Fiscal Studies, which said that 40% of young adults can't afford to buy one of even one of like the cheapest homes in their area, even with a 10% deposit. And the 10% deposit is usually like the minimum now. Well, maybe not now, but um, you could have got away with like at least 5% because, you know, when um, banks and mortgage lenders were often 95% mortgages, you could get away with that. But even if you manage to save a 10% deposit, you know, it's quite alarming that um, 40% of young people can't even afford to buy with a 10% deposit because normally you're like the issue is getting the deposit. Um, house prices in England, it's a shame. I've only really got like a lot of like specific English stats. I, I do imagine there's major differences between the English and Scottish housing market, at least. House prices in England have risen by 173% over the last two decades. But again, average prey has only grown by 19%. I can't do um, ratios but 19% versus 173% is um, a vast, vast difference. So, I mean, there's no way you can um, begin to even save that, especially on a single um, wage. You wouldn't be able to match that at all. So I'm going to start looking at, so that's kind of like the landscape of where we are in Britain. So I'm going to look at like what the issues are. Because everyone always says, you know, like bans it about like, oh, you're in a UK housing crisis. Yep. Sorry, I just had a couple of stats if you've not got any more on that. Sorry. Yeah, please go. So I was just looking at the OECD database and the largest shares of youths and that they put it as 15 to 29 year olds still living with their parents are recorded in the following countries. Italy is the highest, 81% of youths are still living with their parents. Greece, 80%. Slo Slovak? Slovak? Republic, 80%. Ireland, 77%. Slovenia, Spain and Portugal are also 77%. Um, and also from this report, they've said that, um, where was it? Um... Yeah, it's most living alone is most common among young adults in Norway at 41%, Sweden 41%, Finland 33%, and the Netherlands 28%. Now, I find this quite interesting because the Scandinavian countries, and I think it's particularly Sweden for 2022, they are the um, highest scoring countries for quality of life. So it's funny that they 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 have the higher proportion of young people living on their own or like away from the parental household. Wouldn't you say that makes sense though? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was oh. just thinking of living alone, and I'm thinking like living alone, mental health and isolation. But then uh, living alone, as in like they've managed to get away yes. from parents. Then yes, that does make sense. Um, also, I'm sure that they. I, I again, I don't know what I'm basing this on, but they have some of like the best salaries i'm assuming mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that maybe makes sense why they can afford to move out of parental homes exactly yeah exactly and um and it also maybe has to do with like what you're probably going into about the the, the um availability of mm -hmm. uh, housing um and they term housing cost over burden as share of low income private tenants spending more than 40% of income on rent. So if you're spending more than 40% of your income on rent, you are in a housing cost um, 
they they call it as being overburdened by your housing costs. Mm -hmm. Um, So they said in 2020, uh, the UK was one of the highest at 53%. The USA was 46%. Canada was 35%. And Italy was 35%. Housing in terms of being overcrowded. So the rate uh, of overcrowding in low-income households um, was actually 1% for the UK. But That's very surprising. Mm, I don't find it surprising in a way because I don't think that we have the same kind of intergenerational living that other countries like Italy and stuff do. We don't, but I was gonna, I, I'm going to come to it. But I think overcrowding is in, in of itself a housing issue, mm, in the UK, yeah. especially if you think of um, immigrants. True, true. And it depends on, I think, where these houses are, because we also, I'm going to come to it as well, we have two issues that that sort of headbutt one another. So it's like, on the one hand, you have houses that are overcrowded, and on the other hand, we have houses that are almost underused, utilised. Massive houses where maybe, you know, they're a little bit more affluent and, and children whatever have moved on and then you've got adults who stay in the houses and they're not getting used the way that they should and then when in lower income families and maybe more poverty stricken areas or deprived areas you have smaller homes which are massively overcrowded yes exactly yeah that's a good point um the last thing i just wanted to add was from this oecd uh house affordability uh, housing database is that they calculated the percentages of countries in the OECD um, that owned their house outright. So in 2020, the highest proportion of uh, owned property outright was in Romania at 95%. Croatia was 85%, Lithuania 84%, Bulgaria 83%. So they're in the top. The UK was actually 39%, Norway was 22%, Iceland was 19%, and Sweden was 15%. But Mm. This changes quite a bit when it's not owned outright, but it's owned with a mortgage. So owned outright, mm-hmm. 95% for Romania, but owned with a mortgage, 1% for Romania. But maybe I do find that and, really... Yeah. No, no, kind of. I do find that really interesting because you look at these countries when you're talking about owned outright, and the higher percentage that have owned them outright are what maybe you'd say are more, what's the word I'm looking for? Not deprived, but um, yeah, that, let's just go with deprived countries, I suppose. And then you look at more developed countries. I know we're talking European countries. Um but you look at uh, Scandinavian countries or Britain, for example, um, and there's a lesser percentage of them that have owned them outright. And I think it's genuinely because you can't afford the houses in Scandinavia or Britain. And the houses that are maybe in countries like Lithuania or Romania um, are more affordable, but they could be more 
dilapidated. They could be in areas, they could be more rural areas where, you know, house prices, even here, you'll see that reflected in more deprived areas, house prices will be cheaper. So you could buy it outright, but it's the, A, the price of the house itself and, and sort of the quality and the area of the house as well. Yeah, and it also, like pretty much what you're saying, it depends as well on the availability of housing. So yes, you could look and be like, oh, Romania, for example, mm. in this database has 95% of its properties owned outright or however you would interpret that. Um, but in terms of owning it with a mortgage, it's 1%. But that could be because there's loads of properties in Romania whereas look at the UK for example and it's like oh there's only 39% who own it outright and then 28% own it with a mortgage they're both quite low figures and that could just be because there's not enough housing in the UK to, to do either or um, and then also it comes down to like cost and stuff like you were saying um, because it's interesting as well because Sweden and Iceland they and Norway they're sitting at around 50% so they for owning with a mortgage but they're quite low for owning outright so and it could also be as well just what culturally what um is deemed important if you don't mean like in the UK like we say it is deemed quite important to you know reach that status of being a homeowner whereas in other countries it might not be so it might not be the case that it's too it's too uh, expensive or whatever in a country maybe like Sweden to own a home it might just be that it's people are in no rush to do it if you know what I mean they don't so there's so many ways you can interpret these um, findings and stuff but I just thought it was quite interesting and also as well I just had a thought there when you were talking about owning outright it could be the case that you could say oh 95% of like, the properties are owned outright but but these could be owned by like like not one person but it could be it could be owned by one really really wealthy person who who buys them and then they're for rent if you know what I mean it doesn't mean that there's like loads and loads and loads of families that own their homes it could be like that really wealthy companies or businesses or landlords or whatever are buying them in bulk essentially and then you know they've got tenants so there's so like they you know these are just percentages there's so many things you know within it and i'm sure you'll go into that but i just thought i'd add that in yeah no it's a good comparison to where britain is and it positions us quite um well it illustrates our position quite well in comparison to at least other um european countries so specifically the UK, like uh, you touched on, and like I said that I would touch on, um, you know, everyone says that it, there there is like a UK housing crisis, but it, you know, there's I don't think there's just one UK housing crisis. And Sky News did a feature on that, and it was it was quite well done actually because they kind of pointed to maybe about like four or five separate crises within the UK housing crisis you know, that of like overcrowding, massive demand, rising costs and lack of availability. So um, everyone always says, and, and I'm not calling you out for it, Megan, I'm just saying that it's, it's just funny that you said it because I think, and I'm the same, everyone's always like, the problem with housing is that there's just not enough housing. That's it. Just need more houses. If we have more houses, we'll be fine. But I, I know you know it's not that simple and, and everybody knows it's not that simple but it's just you don't really think of like the other issues involved in the UK housing crisis 
and um, which have been going on for years. Um, but you know, the first one is kind of like looking at well, well, the first one is that there's not enough homes, sorry, and then like the second one, obviously, is um a lack of demand for the homes that there we do have. So it all comes down to location. And, you know, we have a lot of these towns in Britain that used to be, for example, like coal mining towns um, that not a lot of people would want to live in. You know, it's, it's the type of towns that maybe like your grandparents grew up in and they never moved and they stay there. And there's never been any um, regeneration that's gone on in those towns. So everybody just moves and moves away from them. And, you know, the houses that are there, nobody's looking to move to this area because there are these little towns that that has nothing going on and everybody wants to be closer to a city. So, you know, there's there's like, maybe like lack of jobs there so although there's houses there people aren't willing to move there because what would you be getting if you did and then you've obviously got the other problem like I was saying to you like the under occupation crisis so that's like larger homes that if you had like a large family and then they all moved on then you have a home maybe with like four or five bedrooms and nobody's living in it bar like your parents or grandparents or whatever. And I'm not saying that they don't have a right to it. Of course they do. But it just shows that it's not always either like overcrowding or the lack of how the lack of homes themselves. It's like that that's also another issue in the UK. Um, it's just like, you know, I'm not getting used, I suppose. Um, and then you've also got like the quality crisis of homes. So although you might have, you, you could have, for example, in like Lithuania or Romania, you might have like this really high percentage of people that have like owned their home outright, but it's the quality of that home. That home could be fallen down. It could not have any running water. It could have bad plumbing or heating or whatever, but that person still owns a home. So, but the quality of it, it doesn't reflect the way that that person should be living. So it's still a crisis in of itself. Um, you know, the biggest example of that, perhaps stereotypically, um, is like homes that housing associations or councils are in charge of and even rental homes. Because if you're not the one that is in charge of your home, you are at the mercy of the council, the housing association, or your landlord, and if they're not willing to do anything for that, and you're in a situation where you're just very lucky, you feel lucky enough just to have that home, then you kind of just take what you've been given, which isn't great in modern Britain to just live in varying states. You should still live somewhere that's comfortable and healthy and safe. And then obviously we have the affordability problem where house prices are rising in good areas near like cities and obviously like cities like London. And even if you're using an example up here, you have like Edinburgh, outskirts of Edinburgh, um, you know, places that years and years ago 
you would have been like, oh, okay, I'll move, I'll move out there because houses will be cheaper. Well, everybody's doing the same thing because of the proximity to Edinburgh. So those houses then get more and more expensive and um, less and less affordable for people. The same thing with, with Glasgow, you've got sort of like, I don't know it that well, but you've got like the divide between like the East and West. Everybody knows the West is where the good houses are and the East is where they're less so. Um, and also you do have the problem, like you were kind of saying, of like investors buying homes or holiday lets in places that are near like cities or coastal towns or stuff like that. They're, they're being bought up by um, property developers or people um leasing them out for holiday rentals um so there's loads of sort of different crises like small crises going on within the uk they all need like different solutions so i think that's also why it's so difficult to like solve the housing problem because there's so much sort of going on there's so much nuance to it if that makes sense because you know you could say oh let's build more homes but if you build them out in like like some sort of like rural area that no one's going to go to that's not close to a city then yeah you've got loads of houses out there but who's going to want to live in it nobody so doesn't doesn't solve it's not like a one solution fits all sort of problem don't know if you have any thoughts okay so no i agree with what you're saying um yeah, I think, you know, the housing is something that you have to consider a lot of other factors. It's not as simple as, you know, build more houses or make them more affordable. It's like how we do that thing. And I think as well, like, sorry, I was just thinking when you were saying that, another factor probably in housing now, as with a lot of things, is you've got to think about sustainability and you've got to think about, like, environment and environment and stuff as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm just going to try and do this briefly Um, have a look at like how we kind of got here because I feel like we've always been in some sort of housing crisis in the UK, um, in like modern Britain at least. Um, and a lot of this I do have to say has been taken from The Guardian because they've done a great article on like how we've got here. So I'm just going to like break down different points that they made just to sort of see how we got here you know, to the position where we've got like rising rents and then pay freezes so that we can't either pay for the rents or like save for mortgages or even, I mean, I don't know who's buying a home outright, but if, if you could, I mean, I doubt that's even um, a possibility if your pay doesn't match the cost of the house. And of course, the lack of affordable housing. Um, so, kind of sort of all sort of starts in like the 1980s obviously with Thatcher um so she introduced the housing act in early 1980s and that gave a discount on the right to buy scheme the right to buy scheme enabled council tenants to buy their own home for reduced prices so it meant that if people were buying the homes off the council at a reduced price the council's obviously getting less money and it means that they had less money in the pot to go and make new homes, to go and build new council houses for people. So that obviously meant council homes declined. So then in 1985, 
that meant that there were more homeowners because these people are going out and buying their council homes and less council homes available. And then throughout the late 80s, all the way through to the 90s, the financial sector starts to become more deregulated, meaning more mortgages um, are sort of given at whatever price. Because of the deregulation, it meant that mortgage lenders just kind of were able to give a mortgage based on whatever they wanted. You know, they had they had, didn't have the same sort of rules to adhere to. And um, you didn't, basically, you didn't really need to approve your affordability. If that mortgage lender decided, all right, I'm okay with you, just show me like one wage slip, that's fine. Do you know what I mean? Like, go for another mortgage. Um, in 1988, they introduced another housing act, the 1988 Housing Act, which reduced rent regulation as well. So that allowed landlords to charge whatever they wanted for a property. And then it also enabled housing associations to source like private money to build new homes and repair the current ones. So it meant, again, many council houses transferred ownership to housing associations. So they were no longer housing council houses. They were owned by these sort of private housing association people. Um, and this act also introduced shorthold tenancies, which I can't even believe like shorthold tenancies exist. So they limited the security of your tenure. So it meant that buying rentals were obviously more attractive to investors because if you had a shorthold tenancy, then they could just be like, okay, you're only going to stay in it for like two weeks or something and then we can just like throw you out. And obviously, if you're an investor, you're thinking, that's great. We can we we have we have more say to be like, oh, actually, you're not doing what we want or you're not paying. You're not willing to like, like put up with her pay increase. We'll just chuck you out and get someone else. So it meant more investors wanted to um, buy properties to rent. And then in the early 90s, that's when the housing market crashes. So um, prices kept rising. Um, like house prices kept rising from eight, 1983 onwards, but then they crashed at the end of the decade um, and interest rates were at a ridiculous 15%. Um, and then after that, the economy ultimately fell into recession. And then this left many borrowers in negative equity um, because it meant they had a house that they A, couldn't afford and that B, like no longer was the, the same price as what they bought it for. Um, and then that meant that like repossessions rose. So like there was a massive increase in the number of repossessed houses. And then in 1992, with the lack of these controls on mortgages, you know, like the deregulation on the mortgages, more people could buy homes because they're just giving them out left, right and center. And then so that ultimately meant that there was more demand for homes, which meant that the prices went up. So in 1993, house prices kept going up and mortgage payments went up, but wages didn't. So then in 1996, they introduced buy to let, which meant it was easier for people to invest in rental property because they were buying these properties to let these properties. Over the next two decades, due to falling interest rates and rising prices, obviously, naturally, um, 
the buy to let market like exploded. And then in 2005, there were like innovations such as the self-certification mortgages and fast track loans, which allowed self-employed people with multiple incomes, for example, to buy without proof. So they could just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can't afford this. Um, I'm just going to say that I can afford it. I don't need to go to a financial advisor. I don't need to go to a bank or whatever. I'm just saying that I can afford it. Great mortgage. Thanks. Um, and then in 2002, 2007, 2008, that's when the financial crash, you know, from America um so that's when that happened and that resulted in um like the aftermath of that was that mortgages became less risky um and it meant it actually became harder to get one because now like mortgage lenders and banks were kind of like okay we need to really be careful about like who we're letting have these mortgages and stuff um and because there had been steadily as i was saying less social housing because there's less council housing less money less houses um it pushed people more and more into the private rental sector you know, honestly so in 2010 the number of new homes um started to shrink but the demand for them like homes continued to grow um, and then in 2013, the Help to Buy scheme was introduced, which um, would have, which you would have thought would have meant there was like more first-time buyers because you know they were helping them to buy. But um, the number of first-time buyers, people actually like getting on the property ladder, falls due to expensive mortgage deposits. Um, uh, the help to buy was basically A, it offered loans on new homes and then B, it offered lenders a guarantee, like a government guarantee, um, so that they could start providing 95% mortgages with the guarantee that they would be able to cover that. Um, in 2015, George Osborne raises the tax bill for landlords, meaning that landlords were like the first one of the first times ever are no long no longer had an advantage over first time buyers because they were being taxed almost as much as them. Um, and then in 2018 to 19, the then Prime Minister Theresa May opens the door finally for more council borrowing. So she scraps the cap on what councils can borrow to build new homes. So everyone might have heard it, that they estimated to build 10,000 new homes. And supposedly, before COVID hit, they were on track to hit 10,000 homes. And then 2020, COVID-19 hits, and we're all in a pandemic, or like two pandemics. And after the pandemic, the housing market booms for like the first time in a long time. House UK house prices climbed by 8.5%, partly due to, in England, don't have it in Scotland, the stamp duty holiday. So people really wanted to buy before stamp duty came in. I don't really understand stamp duty because I've never really had to understand it, thankfully. Um, and also there was obviously like <coughs> the rush for space, the so-called rush for space, everybody wanted out. And the fact that like myself, because if you were A, lucky enough to work from home and B, lucky enough to live with someone else, you could save more. Um, so that's just like a brief overview of like where we've been and how we've got to where we are. So 
at the moment, where we are now, and this is also taken, a lot of this is taken from the Sky News Daily podcast, which is actually, they did really good um, episodes on the current UK housing crisis. So they sum up the housing crisis to do with mortgages and the housing crisis in the rental market. So if we look at mortgages first, the cost of borrowing, and everyone's like, oh my God, it's just exploded in the last wee while. The cost of borrowing has been slowly increasing for years, but the mini budget that we just recently had um, under our new Prime Minister Liz Trust um, turbocharged this. And the Bank of England expect interest rates to rise to 6% next year. Now, it's not quite the 15% from the early 90s when the housing market crashed, but it's very significant to go up to 6%. Um, it's estimated that 1.9 million mortgages are up for renewal in the next 12 months and homeowners will experience thousands of pounds of additional spending on top of the fact that we're already also in a cost of living crisis. So not only will they have thousands of pounds of additional spending in their mortgage prices because of the interest rates rising, they'll also have it in fuel, everything else. Um, lenders... Well, also, like just recently when this came out, lenders were pulling from the market because they needed to reprice their rates and their deals to match with the rise in interest rates, um, which not only obviously affects new owners wanting to buy, but also those needing to remortgage, because it means obviously your remortgage is going to be loads. Quick snapshot of the rental, the current rental market. One third of all homes in the UK are privately rented. As a renter, you obviously, like you were saying, Megan, have to deal with the instability of increases at the landlord's behest. Despite sky high prices, though demand is still high for renting. Um, and you know you 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 hear stories and especially in I've, I've i've personally heard them in edinburgh just because you know i don't really know london but like it's just big cities you know i've never experienced this and i don't know if you have megan when you rented but um like with more than like one person applying for it and like a landlord like reading through your application and be like oh are you going to be the best fit for my flat like i've never heard of that in my life like it just seems crazy so like there's examples of you know like 19 people putting applications in for like one flat which is just like absurd um um i well i haven't heard, i don't know if, if my landlord did that i don't know they might have done it i just happened to win it but they didn't tell me yeah mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, just, I don't know i remember i've had it obviously because i've got pets they'll be like really like bothered about it um and then our dad obviously works in the rental mar- like letting agencies and he said that that they've had that where they've had like loads of those people turn up for just like one property yeah yeah and and often you know these properties are maybe like not in the best location maybe don't don't have as many bedrooms as you want you know stuff that otherwise you would be like okay why is there competition for a property like this but the mere fact that it's for example in edinburgh you would be like oh god right like i just need to be in the city um which also makes sense with like cost of living crisis is that you want to be closer to your job if you work in the city. 
Um, for a lot of people, you know, sadly, like a lot of young people, um, home ownership is becoming less and less likely because also, you know, if you are renting, it is harder and harder to save, especially if rental prices are increasing. Um, although they do say that like the number of listings has plummeted, which makes sense because of the demand, obviously the number of um, applications has skyrocketed. Um, they also interestingly said that 350,000 private rental adults in England in the last couple of years have been served an eviction notice, which is pretty high. So just adds to the weight of, you know, unstable um, living conditions, I suppose, if you rent. But then you don't know what that's based on. Like, I, I, I highly doubt that's just a landlord one day out of nowhere being like, I'm going to evict you. I don't think so. Um, now, obviously, in Could Scotland... Be. Well, now in Scotland, we have the rent freezes, I think, for the next year. Which is something... Well. I was like, that'll be good because that's meant to be till like March or whatever. But apparently, I was watching the news the other night and um, some oh, the landlord consortium, whatever you call it, um, they've got like a, they've got a solicitor who's on the case notice to investigate whether that was legal that the Scottish government did that. So they might contest it. And you know what's <sighs> going to happen if that if they win? They're going to just hike the price up because like my rent, um is six seven five and my neighbor lives in the exact same property all the flats in this building are the same and her rent is five fifty and has she been living there longer exact than same. you not that much longer exact same property but get this i think no wait it was was it five fifty but now it's like five seven five i think it's now five fifty but she said that just before they announced those things about the thing going up, I think it was just maybe, no, maybe it was an Easter or something. She said that her rent was just put up by £100 for no reason. It's just put up. See, I just find that so ridiculous. And I so think I told you should... her about the, the, the rent mm -hmm. freeze thing. She didn't know about it, but now I'm like, might get taken away. Because she's terrified. She's got like two young kids and she just works on her. She's a single parent, so. Yeah, because what do you do in that situation? You've got you've got nothing. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I I'm not an expert on property law and like you know tenancy rights. I I don't know. Um, but you would like to think you have something on your side. Um, but it's just with the supply and demand, like they know they can get away with it because they absolutely know that they would get someone in a heartbeat to come and take that flat, which is so sad because you know there's a large um, increase in people moving back home or even like sofa surfing um, and then even like listings for like estate agents and stuff like properties sometimes aren't even getting advertised because they've already got a large pool of people say for example you missed out on like three different properties and you're still waiting they'll just go to that waiting list that they already have so they don't need to put it on your third party site um, to advertise because they don't need new people they've already got a list of people that can just go to it and be like oh didn't get this flat but here's this one um, so although you may look and go hmm there's not that many there or whatever you know they have them waiting um, so it just means there's a whole bunch of people that still aren't even getting that those options um, and some 
listings, right? I didn't realize this was rental ready properties. I get the whole thing with like, if you're buying, but they charge a premium on top of what they would list it as. So they might say, oh, this property is going to be £600 a month on their listing and then when you get to sign the lease and everything they might just that might just be a starting price they might then charge a premium on top of that and it could be anywhere between 300 and 400 pounds more than what they've said that is which makes me think of the whole offers over thing for um properties for sale i didn't realize that with them rental properties um so yeah, not exactly a cheery picture um, of where we are, but if you know you look back at like where we've come from, you know if you look back at like the nineties, and you know if you were in that time and you were feeling the effects of the housing market crashing and interest rates being that high, you'd be like, oh, this is never going to get better. But then it does. It does eventually come through it, but it's like peaks and troughs. So. You know, I think, yeah, but how many, is it not though, like, okay, like, peak or something, but isn't it, like, how many people are getting through? Is it not less and less people that are getting through each time? To buy, perhaps, yes, but it does mean that, you know, the market might sort itself out. Well, that's that's what we can hope. Um, I don't have anything to be like this this is what's this is the magic cure um but i can only hope in our current situation as it's going on now that you know a lot of this will be reversed and and you know we won't have massive i i just hope we don't look get... like a true homeowner there claire I'm just living in hope because if the interest rates go above six percent, even at six percent, I can't afford it. Like it's it's actually it it's terrifying because my biggest fear is like going back to like the nineties. I I, my biggest fear is like negative equity. Like I can't quite deal with it. Um however, back to the picture. Um coming back to what we were saying, if young people see themselves a owning a home and b do they still want to own a home after you know looking at that you're kind of like well no (laughs) you would have to be super privileged or very lucky to own your own home um you know without having saving for years and years and years and years and years and uh you know by putting something else on hold to be able to save for that um because I think a lot of people now, it's no um, great secret that a lot of young people are able to buy their own home because of help from family, whether that's a family member giving them money or just the fact that they can stay with family to be able to save. I think that's how the majority of people are doing it. And I think that, or or they maybe get it through inheritance. So I think that is the reason why you'll see a lot of like younger people staying with family later or maybe buying later because they're getting it from their parents or their grandparents that have maybe passed and given them money as a result of that and that's what they've used. I don't think there's a high number of young people who have that money outright to buy from just personal savings alone because 
I personally don't think that wages are anywhere near um like the cost of living or the cost of houses they don't reflect it at all um so it was an interesting study and it's slightly irritating um from I don't know if you've heard of this from the King's College London they done it in 2022 uh which they talk about the myth of affordable housing and it shows that it's kind of believed by all age groups but divided between young and old, right? So almost half of the UK, half of all UK adults believe the collapse in home buying among young people is caused by too much consumer spending. So like it's split again between older and younger people. So older generations typically believe that young people are choosing to spend their money on things that, otherwise they should be keeping aside to buy a house so it's like oh they're just wasting their money on subscriptions or food or clothes or whatever but excessively and that's why they don't have the money nothing to do with the markets nothing to do with um wages nothing like that um however 76 percent of people agreed it is harder for young people to buy a home than their parents generation so you know, they must think it's got something to do with it. Um, three quarters of Britons agree that factors such as rising home prices, stricter lending rules and lower wage growth are partly to blame. So, you know, like you've got to still live. You can't live in like sort of poverty in a sense just to be able to afford to live. Like you were saying, you know, that percentage you were saying, if you spend 40% or whatever on housing, then you're in uh i can't recall what they called it you're overburdened you're overburdened exactly like you can't strip everything else away just to be able to save to buy a house for what to say oh i'm finally a homeowner obviously you know the stability and everything would, would be helpful but i still think that's a pretty bad situation to be in so i'm just going to end by looking at the pros and cons we can both talk about the pros and cons of homeownership versus renting so what do you think are some of like the pros i know you don't own a home but what do you see if you were to what would be some of the pros of owning a home probably very naively but i just look at like you're more in control of what you pay out each month yeah i would say um, so so i don't think you are when you rent because you're beholden to a landlord you would hope that the lander is reasonable, but you've always got that risk. Um, just as a sort of or trivial thing, I suppose, you have more control, like individuality of like what your home looks like. Um, Absolutely true. Mm -hmm. And you can change it and stuff. Uh, pets is a big one. You can have a pet, which you can't have in a lot of properties. Or you're, or you're, you know, you're really responsible for if they do any even small damage, uh, if you rent and you have one, and that's a big issue for the, you know, if you live alone, then a pet can be a big thing yeah. for you in so many emotional sort of ways, and then if you've had a pet throughout your whole life, it's like, and then you rent or you move out, it's like, well, what am I going to do with my dog, for example, um. Were you asking what the benefits of homeowning versus renting was? Yep. Okay. Uh, well, I don't really know because I've never homeowned. Owned a home, sorry. But 
that's all I can really think of are the main ones for me. Um, yeah. yeah, the only I was the same. The only other thing I was going to say is also it means that your money's going somewhere, so you have a personal asset. So at the end of the day, you putting money out every month is for your own benefit with the goal yeah, that you have because... property and you have an asset to sell at the end of that. Because in that sense, like when you rent, right? Like I get my wage every month and six seven five of it so depressing. Six seven five of it just disappears. It just disappears. It goes into the landlord's pocket, right? And they can save that. They could take that, they could pocket that money and they could save it. And they could that's their that's now their savings. My savings are our money. They've got them. Yep. It's really depressing. I know. I mean, that that's it. You you essentially with rent, and you are lying in someone else's pocket instead of investing in your own asset. And typically, typically rent. Now, again, it's really general. It depends on where you are, and it depends on the market and the interest rates. But typically, rent is usually more than mortgage payments. Um, but to cheer you up, let's look at some of the negatives of home ownership. The cost of buying and saving, massive negative. You know, because you have to have... you can't, Well, I suppose maybe now with rents, you do need... You, I think now with rent, it's That's like... still a negative on rent then. No, because you're never going to need to save what you need to save to get a house or own a home, flat, whatever. Yeah, but you're never going to save because you rent. Not necessarily. You could be living, you could not be renting and you still might not be able to save what you want to be able to buy. True, but let's say you're not in the fortunate position to live with your parents and all you can afford is renting. You're never going to save, are you? Because you rent. Yeah, but that's also a negative on the cost of home ownership. See? It's a negative on both, though. Give up point to both. The maintenance costs, though, that's... That's a massive negative. That could be factored into your rent, though, and you don't know it. Matt, no. I don't think so. I think that's a massive one because anything could go wrong and you have to, not only do you have to pay for it, you have to deal with it. Usually, you know, it depends on how good your landlord is, but they deal with it. It is their responsibility to deal with that. So, there. that's one. Um, keeping up with repayments is a negative for home ownership. If you can't... with rent. Yes, but you have taken a mortgage deal with that. You haven't taken that out with rent, have you? If you can't pay... Yeah, yes, if I can't pay my yes, rent, I'll be to. homeless. If I just... If, I, if right now I lost my job, right, and I can't pay my rent, and I say to them, I can't pay, I'll just be chucked out, I'll be evicted. Yeah, but homeless. then you haven't wasted the money that you've put into a property because... Yes, I okay. have wasted it because I don't have any. The, the landlord's got it. Okay, well, it's a negative for both then because it's, it's never a good Sorry, situation. there are no positives to rent. <laughs> there are. We're getting to the pros of renting. Um... Ah, here's a negative for home ownership though. You can't just give up and move on because you have made a massive commitment. That's kind of what I was getting at. You can't just come out of your mortgage because you've borrowed that from the bank. They're gonna be like, Where's my money? Okay. Even though even if you're not looking that in 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 uh what's the word? Comparison to renting, that's just a negative for home ownership. Um and obviously the risk of negative equity, which again comes from 
the commitment thing. Pros of renting. What are your pros of renting? None. You must have one. No. I'll give you some. More freedom and less commitment for renting. Some to, a lot of people I haven't been looking up, a lot of people do prefer that from renting. Is that you you if you just decided, do you know what, I actually looking at a job this place, I just want to go, you don't need to deal with the sellers, you don't need to deal with the market to for be selling. Fair, yes, I will give you that. You can and just it has leave. Me. It has helped me in that sense because I've like moved about the last couple of months, last couple of years. So yes, it has. Exactly. It's just, I'm just I'm just annoyed and bitter and depressed about it. That's a very good thing though. Very good thing. Because if the market if it ends up affecting both renters and how uh, homeowners, I arguably would say renters are in a better position. I mean, you're talking if you're both in the same bad situation. Um, arguably. Uh, again, no responsibility of maintenance. Obviously, it depends on the landlord, though. Um, and then no down payment, although I would say that's almost irrelevant now because I think with renting, it's what, at least a deposit and then like a month's rent up front or something, minimum now. And with the cost of rent, maybe that's not so positive. Um, anything else you can think of? No. Cons of renting. Sorry. The whole Rent. housing situation just really, I just want to bury my head and sound like it's not happening. Oh, bad episodes. Probably a very bad episode at the moment. Uh, cons of renting obviously, rent prices aren't fixed. You don't get any tax benefits, limitations on pets and personal improvements, home improvements. Um, no investment in your personal. Um, assets the insecurity and obviously questionable landlords which we hope that landlords are decent but you do obviously um come up short sometimes and on that cheery note that's the state of the uk housing market it's good isn't it great it's okay though because if we end up going back to where the 90s were we're due to come back around and we are due to have a booming property market. Yay. So, still not convinced to own, that you will own, that you want to own a home? Maybe, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like, now I am kind of more wanting to, but I, whether I see it as a realistic option, even even less so. And how would you do, if you did, what would be the way that you went about it? Would would it be parents? What, to help me? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, same. Like, I'm not, and again, I, like I've already said, I'm not talking lump sum. I'm talking no, just I'd, being I'd, able I'd, to I'd... save with them. Yeah, yes, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um. So, have you got much else that you're adding in, or...? Sorry, no, that's the conclusion of that episode. Okay, so I wanted to add something in just as a bit of a curveball. Because you kinda hinted at it, but you didn't you didn't maybe go into it too much. So you were talking before. Um Just about... honestly, just say it when I when I'm saying it. No, 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 it's just you didn't really hit on it. So I was like looking for an opportunity to bring it in and I was like, You haven't really sort of I haven't found it, so I'll just say it. Yep. Um 
So at the beginning, you sort of mentioned how uh, housing often is linked to social status. Yes. And how there is that kind of like hierarchy of class and socioeconomic status with your um, accommodation status. So I just wanted to bring in a little bit of my dissertation that I did when I was at university. So um, I did my master's dissertation on um, the, well, it was how does the accommodation landscape impact on young people's transition to adulthood with particular reference to Scotland? So I should say that my background is like this was for my master's in adult education, community development and youth work. So I was looking at it more from young people and youth working and, and as communities um, and how they define themselves. So it's not necessarily directly about housing, but I was looking at like what part housing plays and how people view themselves as adults and how people move from being young people to adults with particular reference to Scotland and looking at Scottish Housing Survey. But I used the um, generations, the social generations theory as my framework for it. So I just wanted to quickly go through it to kind of see if you had any thoughts on this, Claire. Um, yeah. So the origins of the social generations theory or approach um, can be traced back to the sociologist Mannheim um, back in 1952. And he saw that generations uh, were he termed generations as being more of a subjective experience. So I'll just say that this kind of links back to our very, one of our earlier episodes where you talked about generations, Claire, um, and how we define generations and where we put those stop gaps of what a generation is, if you don't mean. Because I think when we were talking about it, you can look at generations as being like an age cohort, or you can look at it more as social generations, which is experiences that you go through, and that defines the generation. Um, so that's what he was saying. He was saying it's more a subjective experience about one's place in society. And he felt that a generation was therefore marked by a shared economic, political or social location rather than, like I say, your age or like what year you were born, if you know what I mean. Um, so in this in this respect, um, thinking about the particular nuances within generations can facilitate a lot of discussion around class, gender and inequalities within science. And Wine, when I can never say that word, it's W-Y-N, I think it's meant to be Welsh. And Woodman, they do a lot of studies around this and I looked at their studies a lot and um, they were talking about generations and how and how they relate to gender and inequalities in society and class and stuff. So uh, Today, there are evident generational shifts arising from the more sort of globalized and digitalized societies that we're in. Uh, so contemporary youth now are seen as more like an app generation. So they're defined by the shifts in society like technology rather than, again, their age. Um, and the changing experiences of youth, young people amid precarious uh, employment, prolonged education, because we're in education for longer and longer these days, and economic uncertainty has placed a lot of increasing intentions on generations, on the generations approach and the generations theory within the field of youth work, youth studies, which is what I was um, looking at at the time. Um, so, so the work of uh, Woodman and uh, Wynne, Wynne? 
uh, one, I think it is, has been significant critical voice against viewing youth through the uh, lens of transitions. So previously, we always thought of um, adulthood as transitions. So we thought of it like, I always imagine the, what's it called? The the Darwin sort of thing, where you see the, the wee ape and then it goes into the adult. We always imagine it like that. Like we've always thought of like, you're the toddler, the young, the wee, the wee, it's like the Sims, you know, you're the wee baby, and then you go to the toddler, and then you go to the wee sort of person that goes to school, and then you're a teenager, and then you're like a young adult, and then you're an adult. Evolution. That's it. Yeah, that's kind of what we've always thought of it being like with adulthood. It's these kind of transitions into like the next stage, if you know what I mean. And they're saying that this has kind of failed, and we need a new definition of what adulthood is because of all this uncertainty, because of all this change, like in education, like in social um, economic sort of landscape and, and and what's actually attainable and achievable for uh, young people as they grow up. Um, so uh, under, so Furlong, Furlong is, I can't remember his first name, which is really bad, but he's a really, really good person. If you're interested in this sort of stuff, look up his work. It's really, really good. Um, so he argues that in the light of neoliberal uh, society and the agenda, uh, societies are becoming increasingly competitive and market driven. Um, and it's led to this kind of new individualized modernity, the potential of socioeconomic background to alienate particular young people from emerging into adulthood is um, a significant issue. Uh, more so nowadays so it's all about kind of like your socioeconomic status or history or like how much wealth you have really um, and that's what's going to determine you succeeding and, and, and reaching those next milestones a lot of evidence that um, in, young people in the UK are working in short term flexible temporary employment um, which sort of shows that the notion that young people are opting for lifestyles that leave them slow to acquiring the resources to transition towards independence um, is not really true anymore. Um, and it's rather that they are being led by the insecurity of the labour market. So it's not the case. We previously thought that it was a case that like young people would uh, sort of, you know, like when you were talking, I think, before about the, the beats, they would actually step out of society. Um, they would choose to do that. Um, whereas nowadays it's not the case they're actually being led by the labour market they're being led by by what work is available what kind of work is available and that's kind of what is um, allowing or hindering their transition towards independence um, so whilst it may appear as though like young people are taking positive steps on the employment ladder that are of their own choosing many are doing so despondently under a realization that perhaps it's that kind of work or whatever that they're doing or nothing and this kind of idea uh, underpins a lot of social policy in european countries particularly the uk and france sorry so going with what i've all talked about um this sort of climate that i'm talking about um researchers in this field and looking at this and who are kind of proponents of the social generations theory um they argue that the current economic climate stagnates the availability of housing particularly for young people who struggle to afford independent accommodation and they argue that because independence is central to youth transition this begs reflection on how contemporary scholars should define adulthood so um the significance of housing should not be underestimated because aside from physical shelter and security, housing represents a symbolic springboard from which to explore one's own identity, foster relationships and gain a sense of personal freedom. Um, 
So the importance between financial and social independence. So we should think about the importance between financial and social independence when explaining the housing pathways of young people. For instance, a young person might live with their parents, but be financially independent with their own source of personal income, sorry. But alternatively, they could live independently, but rely on parental assistance with costs. The complex relationship between the labour market and housing is critical in appreciating the benchmark for young people's individual sense of adulthood. Um, so Forrest and Yip, this is the last thing I'll say, they um, typify this into two pathways divided by class where young working class mainly people move out of the family home early in pursuit of employment and then they may enter the um, ladder of social housing, whereas middle class young people often remain in further education, they cohabit with other students or um, parents and they have a delayed entry into the labour market. Yet this narrative is not necessarily an accurate presentation of the experiences of contemporary youth because many young people struggle with the certainty of employment and therefore work in flexible, temporary and precarious work that pays a low income to afford their own housing. Um, and also there's a there's an increase, this is the last thing I'll say, but there's an increase, um, it's certainly on the rise since the COVID-19 um, in countries like the UK are actually witnessing sorry, a rise in multi-generational households. So like where you've got like grandparents, then parents, then then sort of children and then even younger children um, sometimes, which is a big shift. It's a big change for the UK. That's usually associated with like Eastern countries like Hong Kong and stuff like that. Um, that's not a country, I know. Uh, that's not sorry uh, okay yeah so sorry that was just really brief so I just wanted to sort of say that I think that housing has a lot more to it to to social status and to how we define adulthood because like for example I'm 27 I don't feel like I've made it to an adult because I because housing has such a it has such a impact on how you see yourself as having made it as having grown up do you feel really different from owning your home to, to live with mum, even though you were like kind of the same age? You still were maybe on the same wage. Yes, I did. Um, I always was like, I, I don't think personally, like our parents are really pushy about um, that. You know, like, oh, you need to move out, you need to own a home and stuff. Because I think in our particular situation as well, like I was never moving out of like the family home. And I've already like moved out. So in that sense, it's like I was independent in every other sense. And in, in what you were talking about, you know, I would say I was financially independent, not financially independent in that I could. If I wasn't living at home, I couldn't have bought. Without my mom's help. But again, she wasn't like, here's loads of money. It was just giving me the time to save because I wasn't paying what I would pay if I was renting somewhere, which allowed me to save. Um, but in saying that, I was aware that like it's it sounds so cringy, but it's like the final frontier to like own your own home, and then you're like, okay, now I've checked off a milestone. And don't get me wrong, it's 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 great to have your own space, but then I don't know if I'm equating that with just living alone because this is the first time I've lived alone alone. I mean, like I've always had flats with either yourself or like someone else. Um, but then I don't know if that's necessarily to do with having bought a place but I do absolutely agree that like we do put some on it like a lot of onus on independence and a lot of that does it, the ultimate form of that is being financially independent and also 
physically independent and I think home ownership ticks both of them and therefore I think a lot of people look at that like yeah you've made it yeah because I've got a friend who like she um has lived away from home ever since she went to uni she's not lived in like her parents house she doesn't live in the same I wanted to say city yeah yeah she doesn't live in the same city as them um and she's like a couple of years older than me so nearly 30 uh so she's been financially independent for pretty much all of her 20s um and she's lived independently for the whole of her 20s yet having just bought her first home like just now she's like oh i'm an adult mm -hmm. and it's funny that we still make that joke because people but it, it's so intrinsic to you it that is you're not an adult because previously although she was like I say she was living independently and she was financially independent because she was renting you're like oh no I'm not but you it's are. because I but think it's, renting it's in of itself a... because renting is so unstable it feeds into the fact it feeds into you being unstable like renting's unstable so you're unstable because you rent and it's like you're only renting yeah, and you feel and like... then you're only renting because you're unstable and yeah when you're you when like, you're yep i was just going to say you feel like um when you're renting you're always sort of like in the back of your head well if i need to save i'm gonna to have to go up my parents and ask them for money or stay with them again exactly whereas when you buy your own place it's like oh, okay i don't need that anymore i don't, I don't have to have that at the back Ex of my head so exactly so when you buy it's like you've said to yourself right I've made this commitment because I'm now in a stable position. I have an income that I can rely on comfortably and I'm able to say, now, I don't think anybody will scratch that. Loads of people will be in their um, mortgage still paying it off long term for 30 years. But when you put it down, you're like 30 years. I absolutely will not be uh, still paying this mortgage in 30 years. But that's essentially what you've just said to yourself. You have you have somewhere said to yourself that you will now be in employment in a way where you will have an income that you will be able to pay that property for the next 30 years or a property similar to that for the next 30 years. So you've basically just said to yourself that, yeah, now I can live on my own, now I can afford it and I can make those decisions and I can take that responsibility. So I effectively say it, I don't need to rely on anyone else. Yeah, and I think the last point I'll just say, sort of, I know I was going on about a slightly different topic there with my what I was studying, but I just find it interesting. Like, what I found really interesting about doing that as well is that just when you were talking about um, how we talk about the housing crisis, and you automatically like, oh, what could we do to fix that, or how is it caused? What what's what's causing it? And you kind of just go, unaffordable housing, make more houses, and when I was doing that my research, I, I found it really interesting how housing itself has impacts in other areas, even just in academia, academia, sorry, or uh, just in life that you don't think about. Like that, that in academia, we may need to rethink and that would that would shape so sociology, like I was doing youth work, community um, education. We may need to rethink our definition 
of young adult and adult because our our what what we turned before as adults haven't reached those transition stages yet to mark themselves off as being adult because mm-hmm. they haven't got those experiences yet. And I'm not just talking about housing, but housing is one of them because housing itself has so much to it in terms of being independent and that impacts mm-hmm. how you see yourself. It impacts your finances. Mm-hmm. It impacts just it's, your mental well-being. Like it impacts so much that you just don't really re- realize. Yeah, I think it's funny actually. Just to make it, just sort of end on an anecdote, but how you were saying that you know your friend has bought and everybody makes those jokes about oh you're an adult now. Like I got that when I said to people at work, oh I have bought now. They're like oh that's you an adult now, and I'm like well I'm you know like later half of my 20s I'm definitely an adult (laughs) um and uh yeah I I think how you were saying like it feeds into different things as well it's the same with like jobs it's like anything that's slightly juvenile or unstable people don't associate with being an adult now I have absolutely no shame at all in a retail job right nothing wrong with it It, adults are like any but anybody any age can have that job that's absolutely fine I am not saying that it does I'm just talking about sometimes especially if you make the transition from retail or that type or hospitality work um to a more corporate role people then like oh that's your real job that's you in a real job now it's like no I was always working I was always doing yeah. that, but it's like that's you an adult because you've got a real job now. That's you an adult because, because you've bought your own home now. So especially like just with the retail thing, because because retail is commonly or was a job that like students would do, if you know, mm-hmm. what I mean. like a transitional thing. Like, yeah, exactly. yeah. Um, it's like you have to outgrow that and settle. It's like everybody's in a rush to settle, and once you've settled in every stage of your life, that's you an adult. It's like, you know, if people wanted to travel or that, it's like, why don't you just settle down? And that's and that's I have to say as well, and it does it, it does it, like you say, there needs to be different markers for that. So you kind of talked about it. I think you probably already said, but um, one of the things as well with the with renting and stuff and the and and how the socioeconomic and and, and job market obviously impacts the housing market of young people or younger people is because um, you've got to also think about the stability of jobs and work mm-hmm. because obviously when you buy a place, you're putting down more long-term permanent routes. Yeah. Whereas when you rent, like you were saying, you've got that ability to kind of maybe go, Oh, okay. I've got to like uh, maybe go into a new job. And yeah, and this is the inner city or whatever, and that might look like a benefit, and it is a benefit of renting, but it also means that if we flip it the other way around, mm-hmm. the insecurity of the job market is impacting the way that young people associate themselves with housing, think about housing, save for of housing, course. and everything. So, and I think that that's yeah. enough itself. That is the nature of a mortgage. It's you have to prove to somebody that you will be capable to borrow that and pay the bank back that amount of money like in the long term. Like they want to know that you have that and they, they and will it's probably no only do that then... once you hit 
a certain wage for a certain amount of time and probably actually in certain roles. Even so though, it's no you know, you could... People are finding it difficult because to get that kind of work you're talking about is increasingly difficult. Of course. But the great irony, like everybody points out, is that, you know, renters like yourself have been paying probably in some cases twice as much as what a mortgage has for twice as long. And, you know, that's proof in of itself that it. you can you can afford that. Ugh. You need to have credit like a credit score that doesn't doesn't take into account the fact that you've got a good record yeah. of paying your rent. Exactly. It's it's quite ridiculous. Um and I do think the whole thing needs to change. I think our perceptions need to change about it. And obviously the barriers to entry for getting a mortgage and, and home home ownership needs to change. And I think the instability and affordability of renting also needs to change i don't know how we're going to do that that's what needs to happen <laughs> but i hope i hope that something does and i hope that out of this like there are new schemes or or what out of our podcast definitely not i'm definitely not coming up with a new scheme oh, to help so you buy a mortgage just disclaimer now um but i hope like you know through the government or whatever you know it it does shed light on it and and you know there does become some roots to home ownership for people so i hope so trying to end on a positive but it's exceptionally difficult in the circumstances um but we can be hopeful mm -hmm. but one half of us managed it so yeah it's precarious to say the least though but mm -hmm. you know they All talk about is. you talk about oh there's no stability in renting which makes you think oh there's loads of stability in buying i don't believe it um, but I was trying to end on a good note. Oh, of course. Uh, don't get me wrong. I I feel happy and I feel privileged to be able to be in this position. Um, yeah. Thanks. Okay. Well, it's um Megan's turn next week, so we'll see if we can come up with a more um cheery topic. Anything current affairs is never going to be happy. I was going to think positive. of like I was thinking, oh, let's do something to celebrate Halloween, but we've kind of done loads of like Halloweeny stuff because we like horror. Uh, uh. Well, you could just explore Halloween, not the film. Mm -hmm. Halloween in of itself. Idea. That would be good. Let's 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 just go. We've gone from like scary because it's too real to just you know spooky the more manageable scheme yes that's exactly it okay well thanks for listening guys thanks everyone see you next week this podcast was written and recorded by megan and claire and hosted on anchor music was taken from pixabay